Matt and Dick for sharing that with us this morning. Well, the water bottle is usually the indicator, isn't it? Many a preacher has stood up here, and a water bottle usually means that sickness is bound. Well, it's no different for me this week. It's been kind of a wacky week because I <clears throat> have been under the weather most of the week and really started last weekend and just has uh, been kind of bleh, all week long, and um, uh, that's why I've not really shaken many hands, but I have used some hand sanitizers this morning to help with that. But I tell you, after a few days, and there were four days that I was not in the office this week, where I was sitting, and after time on the couch, time in the chair, time in bed, um, after a while, it gets pretty unproductive, and I'd like to be productive. And so what happens after a while is you sit and you think, and you realize that sometimes it's really a good thing for us. Sometimes that forced being still is very, very important. Now, none of us, I don't think, would ever admit it at the time that it is. But as happened this week, that happens every time that I'm down for a few days with cold or whatever, sickness, is that you tend to think about some things. And these things, I don't know if they're true of you, but they come to me almost every time when I'm down. One of the things I think about is how much I can do when I'm feeling good and healthy and how much I feel limited when I'm sick. But it makes me appreciate what being healthy is all about physically. When you're healthy, you can get up and you can do and you're not limited and we think we get to accomplish what we want and sometimes we do, but when you're sick, you can't. You're kind of stuck. And I don't know about you, probably none of this is true of you, but sometimes we get a little grumpy when we're sick. Thank you, children and wife, for being patient, because it does wear on you, doesn't it? The other thing it reminds me of, though, that I was reminded this week is that, you know, this virus bug, whatever is going on, after going to the doctor, got some antibiotics, they weren't really sure, they said it's probably a virus, which has been going around for everybody. Is I'm reminded that it's temporary. I'm reminded that what I'm dealing with this week really is not a big deal. Yeah, it's inconvenient, it's uncomfortable for a little while, but it's really not a big deal. When I'm sick, I'm reminded of those who are battling illnesses. Some very near and dear to us who are battling things like cancer, chronic pain, battling things that they don't know that they're going to be better in a week or not. They keep battling. And when we're sick, physically it's a reminder. It's a reminder that there are a lot of others who are sick as well. But I'm also reminded of how easy it is to forget those who are sick, isn't it? I mean, we've got our schedules, we've got our things to do, and we're busy, and we're working, and we forget. It doesn't mean our hearts are bad and our intentions are wrong, but we forget. And I think our sicknesses from time to time are reminders to us that there are a lot of people that are physically sick. 
It also made me think this week a lot about a different kind of sickness. I know in my life that you would assume as a pastor is that I would spend each and every day thinking about a different kind of sickness. And I would say I do that some, but not as much as I would like. And that's those who are spiritually sick. Those whose souls are not well. Those who are struggling with their relationship with God. Now, some would say that physical sickness is a whole lot. There's that stinking fly again. He's here every week. Goodness. He came in first service and visited me as well. He landed right here, brushed him away. Sorry about that. It's the fly's fault. But some would say that physical sickness is a whole lot more visible in this world. I disagree. Spiritual sickness is as visible, if not more visible. It is an epidemic of epic proportions in our culture. As people seek to find life and meaning in everything and in everyone but God. We've all tried it. And if you haven't, you're probably trying it right now. Can I find some other way to make life work? Can I choose to live apart from my design, my identity, my purpose, and my ways that this so-called God has set before me? There's not a person that has lived or that will ever live on this earth that hasn't tried it. It's a spiritual sickness. And you don't even have to turn the TV on anymore. You know it. You see it in your neighborhood. You see it with things like murder, the breakdown of the family, hate, the sexual and gender identity crisis, the drug and alcohol addictions, the me first culture, and I could go on and on and on, and so could you. Spiritual sickness is rampant, but all that ails us goes back to that. Everything that really matters that ails us goes back to spiritual sickness. Today, I want us to spend some time thinking about those who are spiritually sick. I don't know if that applies to you, but I'm sure it applies at the very least to somebody else that you know. But I want us to be very careful today, because I want us to think about those who are spiritually sick, those we tend to forget about, because we have lives to live that can speak to that spiritual sickness as believers in Jesus Christ. If you've made that commitment, you've recognized your sin, you have surrendered your life to Christ, and you have chosen to commit by faith, not because you did anything, but because God did everything, and you are following Him, then you have been healed. You have been spiritually cured by the great physician. But we have a responsibility to remember those who are spiritually sick. We have a responsibility that we're going to look at, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, gives us, I believe, some really good identifiers to how we can help those who are spiritually sick. You see, those of us who've made this commitment to Christ, it's not about bragging. It's not about walking around saying, oh, I've got it, I got healed, and you didn't. Shame on us. I mean, have you ever met an arrogant Christian like that? They give us a bad name. 
But I've been one of them, and probably have you. Because there's something that happens in us when we get excited about Jesus Christ. And the longer we're a Christ follower, somehow we forget that we were spiritually sick. And somehow we think that we have gotten cured. But what we have to remember, even though we have, is that for some reason, some have not received that healing yet. We know spiritual sickness, mostly the problem is us. It's not God. God doesn't have an inability to heal any spiritual sickness. But we get in the way. And sometimes we talk about our Christian faith as if we've got it and they don't. We didn't at some point. And so, just like somebody battling disease or a sickness that may be just like the one that you've battled physically, is that you've been healed and maybe they haven't. There's nothing worse for somebody who's sick and struggling with that. Oh, I had a virus, but I got rid of it in three days. Well, great, I'm on day seven. But you know what happens, don't you? You do. It's happened to us. Why not me? Why not me? God calls the church to help the spiritually sick. Because there are no other better, as we will see in the story of Paul today, there's no other better to speak to how the great physician can heal a sick soul like those who were sick and are now healed. There's no other except for Jesus Christ. That's what we got to tell about, isn't it? He's the one we should tell about. I want us to go to Acts 26 today. And in the reading of the story that we've been doing all year long, Acts 26 is not in this week's reading, and it's not in next week's reading, okay? Now, an account that we're going to look at is uh, included in some of the reading. So I'm kind of jumping off here a little bit, but it's worth it. And I want to read for us a little bit about Paul's story. The Apostle Paul, this man who persecuted the church, this man who tried to do everything to take out those who were proclaiming the story of Jesus Christ. But this time in the history of the church and the world, this spiritual sickness was as rampant as it is right now. But people were learning of this person named Jesus. And they were learning about what he had come and done. Paul's story is a beautiful example of a sick soul made whole and healed. Now I want to do something for a minute. I know some of you have got your Bibles open to Acts 26, and, and I'm going to ask you to, to look up for those for a minute. I want to read out of the, the message translation for a moment. And I'm doing this for a reason, so we'll get back to the NIV or NLT, whatever you're in. But I want you to, I want you to listen. So um, don't look at the page if you're like me because, well, where's he at? I'm lo- okay, just listen. Okay, just listen. But I want you to hear these words in a modern translation. This is Paul. He's before King Agrippa. He's defending what they all think is his life. In Paul's mind, he's not defending his life. He's defending his faith. 
But the Jews are out to get him. He's claiming that this Jesus character rose from the dead. And if you, re- if you say that anybody rose from the dead, then you are committing that you have faith in Christ because that's, that's the work of Christ. And so he's standing before King Agrippa and this dude called Festus, which makes me think of gun smoke, and I probably shouldn't, but I really have gotten hooked. That's one thing I did get to do this week. I got to sit and watch the gun smoke every day at 1 o'clock. <laughs> Miss Kitty, Doc, Festus, man, it's really good. And the marshal, of course. He's, he is such a guy. Woo. Okay, sorry, I digress. Point being is that He's standing here near the end of his life, and he is physically, literally in chains as he's sharing and defending what they all think is he's crying out to defend his life. It's not what he's doing. Paul doesn't really care what happens to himself. He's got a story to tell. Verse 9, just listen. I admit, Paul says, that I didn't always hold to this position, and that is the position of not believing in Christ. For a time, I thought it actually was my duty to oppose this Jesus of Nazareth with all my might. Backed with the full authority of the high priest, I threw these believers, I had no idea they were God's people, into the Jerusalem jail, right and left. And whenever it came to a vote, I voted for their execution. I stormed through their meeting places, buying them, bullying them into cursing Jesus. A one-man terror I was, obsessed with obliterating these people. And then I started out in the towns outside of Jerusalem. One day, on my way to Damascus, armed as always with papers from the high priest, authorizing my action, right in the middle of the day, a blaze of light, light outshining the sun, poured out of the sky on me and my companions. Oh, king, it was so bright. We fell flat on our faces. Then I heard a voice in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? Why do you insist on going against the grain? I said, who are you, master? The voice answered, I am Jesus, the one you're hunting down like an animal. But now, up on your feet, I have a job for you. I've handpicked you to be a servant and witness to what's happened today and to what I'm going to show you. I'm sending you off to open the eyes of the outsiders so they can see the difference between dark and light and choose light, see the difference between Satan and God and choose God. I'm sending you off to present my offer of sins forgiven and a place in the family, inviting them into the company of those who begin real living by believing in me. Paul goes on to say, what could I do, King Agrippa? I couldn't just walk away from a vision like that. I became an obedient believer on the spot. I started preaching this life change, this radical turn to God, and everything it meant in everyday life, right there in Damascus. Went on to Jerusalem and to the sounding countryside, surrounding countryside, and from there to the whole world. Paul gives us an incredible picture of how we help those who are spiritually sick. If you would go back to Acts 26, if you have a copy of Scripture, these will be on the screen. There's a couple of things that I think we need to pay attention to. And the first is this. Look in verses 9 through 11. I read it in the message version. But on the screen, 
I too, Paul says, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And if you look at the next couple verses, he tells what he's done. Anybody who knows Paul, and Paul was pretty famous, not for good reasons, for all the wrong reasons. He was there when Stephen was stoned and approved of it. He was persecuting the church. But what Paul does is as he's talking and sharing with King Agrippa, he shares about his life before his conversion. Now, I'm going to use the word conversion today, and I know it's not a common word. It's a churchy word. But sometimes I think we throw out churchy words for the sake of offending and hurting people when we really lose out on the impact of what some of those words mean. Paul experienced a conversion. And in these first verses here, 9 through 11, what we see is that conversion means we have changed our commitment from something. To convert means to change our commitment from something. What is what has been, what maybe is right now, that's something for you? What is that thing that keeps you from holding on or keeps you holding on to everything else in your life besides Jesus? Now, I get it. Sometimes we don't know what that even means to say, I want to follow Jesus. But most of the time, all of the time, there's something in the way. And Paul wanted to make it very clear. He knew King Agrippa was spiritually sick. He knew Festus was spiritually sick. He knew anybody in that courtroom today needed to hear what being spiritually sick was about. And being spiritually sick means that we are committed to something or someone besides Jesus Christ. Sometimes that we try to find that in a relationship. Sometimes we try to find that in, a, in, in, I mean, goodness, we Americans are pretty good at it. We got the beautiful house, we got the big yard, we got the big house, we got however many cars we want, we got all this kind of stuff. All of these things that the world says, yes, you have got it. You've got life. Nope, you don't. Those of us who have tried, many of us in this room, every one of us have failed. It's not where life is at. Can that stuff be fun? Oh, yeah, it can be fun. It's not life. It's especially not life eternally. But I would argue, I don't know how much of life it is here. Paul knew that he was coming from something to Christ. Here's why this is important for the spiritually sick. We are either committed to Christ or something else or someone else. Church, there's no in-between. It's not Jesus and. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not and. It's or. Well, that sounds kind of radical and sounds kind of, kind of you know, a little all-conclusive. That's what commitment and... Jesus Christ is. He'll put everything else in place that you need in place if you put Him first. So you say, well, why does this matter that we share this as a part of our story? It matters because we have to remember what we've come out of. The hardest thing about being a Christian, the longer we're Christians, is forgetting how sick we were. We forget how spiritually sick we were. 
Paul helps us and says, don't forget how sick you were. In fact, when you tell your story, you tell about what Jesus has done in your life, then you tell how sick you were. And what's so crucial about this is we have to remember that because it doesn't matter how sick you were, Jesus heals. This guy was a murderer, known murderer, proud of it. And if you're one of those people that like to rank sins, not biblical, this is a big one. But let me tell you, if you grew up in the church and you always has, have always heard about Jesus Christ, but you never really committed to him, and you were just thinking, well, I don't know that I need him because I'm not as bad as somebody like Paul. That's where I was. My denial of God was as sinful as Paul's denial of God as a murderer. It's true of all yours, too, all of your sin. Well, then you may be thinking, well, I've done so many bad things. He can't overcome that. Uh, Paul, Jesus overcomes anything. This is not a disease that cannot be cured. It's not a sickness that we have no idea how to solve it. No, this is soul sickness cared for by the healer of souls in Jesus Christ because he took the penalty for you. All that you deserve, he took And when you share how sick you were, not in an arrogant, bragging way, but you tell of people of what you've come from, what you've committed from, what happens is God is glorified. People aren't going to look at you then. They're going to say, wow, how did God do that? You're going to say, well, I have no idea, but he did it. Is that not cool? He did it. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, as Paul recounts this Damascus conversion, he says in verse 17, quoting Jesus, I will rescue you, Jesus says, from your own people and from the Gentiles. That's fascinating to think about. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, what's it say? By faith. The other thing Paul helps us here in understanding how to help spiritually sick people, he reminds us that he does the work. No matter how great your story is that you tell, no matter how many scripture you used and you you wrapped it all up in just the most beautiful way, it is not you who does conversion. It is Jesus Christ, God the Father, who brings people into new life. That's important, church. We've got to remember it. Otherwise, we become people's saviors. We are not people's saviors. We point people to the Savior. Recognize that God has taken every one of us who have confessed faith in Christ, and He's turned us from darkness to light. We've received forgiveness. There's one thing required of us, faith. It's not how good you lived in the past, how bad you lived in the past. It doesn't matter what other people think. It's that you have faith. Faith. Dan, that sounds so easy, and I'm not sure how to do that. We're all figuring that out, aren't we? We're learning how to walk in that. 
But Ezekiel 20, excuse me, Ezekiel 36, verse 26, this is on the screen. This is what God does in us in a conversion when we receive by faith the work of Jesus. He says, God that is, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. That means you're going to be different. You're going to have a different perspective. I will remove from your heart from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now be careful here. Don't take our normal understanding of flesh. This is a little bit different word here. It's a good thing. I will put my spirit, Holy Spirit, in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your fathers. And what a beautiful saying, you will be my people and I will be your God. Paul is saying, as he talks to Agrippa, I am now God's people. I thought I was God's people. I was not, because I didn't accept what Jesus had done. You see, God does a work in every soul. He's, he's done a work in some of your souls, and every one of them is a miracle. You've heard me say many a times, how dare us walk around saying, well, I just don't have a dramatic conversion. I know for some of you, it was a very specific moment, and you committed your life to Christ. But for some of you, it was a season. One's not right or one's not wrong. But there's a point where God changed you, and everyone is a miracle. Everyone. Don't you dare let the enemy discount what God has done through Jesus Christ in you. But if we don't tell what Jesus has done in us, somehow we communicate that it may not be that important. You see, folks, this is not about going to church. This is not about having the label of Christian. This is being a follower of Jesus Christ. This is saying, I have experienced conversion, as weird as that sounds. Because my commitment was here, and now it's here. And if any of you have said, this is what I used to commit to, and it was anything besides Jesus Christ first, you were changed. You were changed. Some of your conversion stories are journeys. All of them are in different ways. Look a little further. Verse 19 Paul says, so then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. This is so funny because Paul's kind of saying, it's not that I was forced to make this decision, but I had no choice because the evidence I saw, what God had done in me, it was real. It was real. And so Paul says, I changed my commitment. He says it right in Scripture. I changed my commitment. My faith is now in Jesus Christ. And the one who is the great persecutor is now the great witness. We put our faith in our commitment to Christ. People need to know that. People don't need to know that you go to church. Who cares? You should go to church, yes. The world doesn't need to hear that people gather on a Sunday morning in a room and sing songs and hear one person speak and pray. That's not what spiritually sick people need. 
What spiritually sick people need is to hear how you and you made a faith commitment when you thought this was life and realized it wasn't, and God works in you, and now this is life. And I have hope because I know where I'm headed, no matter when this life ends. Your conversion story is a story of placing faith and belief in Christ. And don't minimize that. Yeah, maybe it started because you started to attend church more. And you were surrounded with other Christians. And you were hearing more. And people were talking the talk. And you said, oh yeah, I like this. This is good. And you make that commitment. But all that leading up, it's really the setup for what really happened. And that's what God did in you and your faith in that. Paul says you got to share that. People need to hear faith stories. One more verse. Verse 20. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Don't get caught up that this is uh, uh, salvation by works. That's not what it is. What Paul's saying is, if God has changed you through Jesus Christ and you've committed for that in faith, then people are going to see it. Because if people don't see it, did you really change your commitment? Or did you just start to do Christian things? Did you just start to do churchy things? And I'm not questioning that about any of you. That's between you and the Lord. But my point is, what Paul is saying is that it's about a life following Christ. Conversion is lived out through testifying about Christ's work in us. People should see a change in you, Paul says. And Paul's not afraid to tell about it in his life. As he stands there like this, chains around him. As he stands there, he says, I'm following Christ. Paul's standing there knowing he could be pulled out at any moment and he could be hung, crucified, shot, whatever, at any moment. Paul didn't care. Paul didn't care because he wasn't defending his life. He was defending his faith. For all of those questioners, all of those haters, all of those who said, Paul, this isn't real, you were hot, you got dehydrated, and some light shone and some nice little emotional experience, and you think you heard from God. Paul says, I did, and my life is going to show it. And if that means I die in prison, if that means I die in this courtroom, then so be it. But I'm going to tell about how God converted me. The passion of Paul. That's the church's mission. We should tell our stories. Your conversion story is a story of walking with faith both successfully, successfully and even in your failures. God regenerates our soul in conversion, but then he sanctifies and he refines and shapes us. Paul says, that's what I'm in right now. He's shaping me. He's refining me. Yeah, I did some pretty bad things. That's not the part of the story that matters. Part of the story that matters the most is that God changed me. Your story... Is a story of real life examples of a person who was committed to something and then chose Jesus Christ. Your story is a real story of raw examples of how that was hard when you were in school 
or how that was hard in, in, at work, how that was hard maybe even in your family because everybody questioned and said, this isn't real. But people need to hear your trials and your struggles and your fears and your disappointments as you changed your commitment. That's what faith is about, isn't it? Faith isn't about everything's perfect. Hey, let's go, Jesus. No. Jesus, everything's a mess. You're going to care for my spiritually sick soul, and then we're going to walk through everything else together. Think about Paul's life. I want us to be Paul's. Remember that verse he wrote at Romans, letter to the Romans, 116? It's on the screen. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who, who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. You see, you have a conversion story for those of you that believe in God. It's for easy to forget all that God has done in you and others. Many of you know the promises and blessings of following Jesus Christ. Many don't. Many think that they know. You know how they know? You share your story of conversion. You tell what God does with a life. You, you demonstrate by your witness through difficult times and good times that no matter what, Jesus first. No matter what, I'm going to follow Jesus. No matter how hard it is, I'm going to follow Jesus. We need to be Ananias's to the Pauls of the world. If you go back to Acts 9, you see Ananias is the man who was called by God to go and lay his hands on the murderer and affirm that this was real and that Paul was changed. And Ananias is like, no way! you got to be kidding me! you know what this guy has done? He kills people like me. And I'm sure he said it high-toned like that and nervous like that. That's how we would say it. God, you've got to be kidding me. You want me to go there? He kills people like me. God says, go. There are people in this world that we Christians have given up on. There's people you've given up on. There's people I've given up on. Be an Ananias. No matter how scared you are, you be an Ananias and you go. No, you may not lay your hands physically on them and the scales fall from their eyes in front of you, but I guarantee what? If you are there and God has called you, you're going to see a conversion. You're going to see scales fall from a heart that was blind. This is what I absolutely believe. There are people in this world, the story they need to hear of conversion is yours. Not mine. Not somebody you knew a long time ago. They need yours. There are people in your realm of influence, they need your story. They've heard it from their mother. They've heard it from their brother. They've heard it from their friends. But for whatever reason, God, is that God has brought them in path with you. And you have a story to, to share. And for whatever unique thing that God has done in you with your personality and changed your commitment one, from one thing to another is that God wants you to share your story. People will not walk into this church
but they'll meet you in the store. When you go to their porch, and yeah, you got to think about how you share that story. But don't be timid. Don't just say, well, I kind of just this, and this kind of just happened. No. Let me tell you what I was like before. Use Paul's example. Here's what I was like. And then that season or that day, I met, I met Jesus, and he became very real for me. Don't underestimate that that happened. And then here's my life and my faith commitment now. My life's not perfect, but I have hope. That's the story people need to hear. There are people in this world that need your story. Now, here's the beauty of it. You're not the main character. You are not the main character of your story. You play a pretty important part. Otherwise, it wouldn't be your story. Jesus is the main character. And as long as you're committed to making Jesus the main character, God will use that story. I have had some really, really beautiful times in my life where God has given me opportunity where people have come to me and said, tell me your story. It doesn't happen a lot, though. What I'm learning is I have to tell my story whether people ask me or not. I don't have to be a bully. I don't have to be some Bible thumper who's throwing all kinds of scripture at people. No, I got to go in humility and tell what Jesus has done. Because I'm a miracle, and so are you if you've accepted Christ. Pull out those papers for me, please. Those circles. Those of you who may not know, we, we did a study last year called the Circle Maker, and we started circling people and situations in prayer. And this place was littered, the walls, with people and, and, and circumstances that we were praying over. We were circling them. I know from those 300 plus prayers, there were, there were people that had conversion stories to share after those prayers. Maybe this morning after Pastor Josh said, I need you to write a name down or think about a name of who needs to hear the story of Jesus. Maybe you're thinking the whole time, me, it's my name. Yeah, I've heard it. It hadn't meant much before for whatever reason, but now it does. Then you write your name in there. But here's what I ask you to do. I want to ask you not leave this place without talking to a believer. Someone you know who's sitting near you or one of us pastors, but talk to somebody about the fact that you put your name there. And if you're ready to make that commitment to Christ, then we'll pray with you. doesn't have to be pastor. Maybe there's somebody else that you know. I had a lady come to me after worship first service, and she said, she told me who the Lord put on her heart. And she just told me, she said, Dan, this is going to be hard because I'm afraid I'm going to push her away. She says, I know I got to do it. I said, yeah, you do. I don't know when God's going to ask you to do that, but I'll tell you what, you commit to it, he's going to give you an opportunity. So I want you to do something. I want you to take, I want you to take that paper. Jenny, well, I'll use this one. And if, if you don't have any and you want to come up and grab one of these, you can. But I want you to take that paper and I just want you to grab it and I want you to put it between your hands. And if you haven't written a name on it, but you know what name it's going to be, then, then that's fine. God knows. But I want you to take it and if you're able, I just want you to lift it up a little bit. I want us to pray for it. Father, for those in this place today, and the name in that circle is theirs.
the ones holding the circle. That somewhere along the way that maybe they've heard the gospel before, maybe they've heard the story of, of, of Paul's conversion, but it's never hit home or they never feel like they've made that commitment to you, then God, I pray that you make your son Jesus real today. If that's you today, then I'm just going to ask you right now in your seat to just, just tell God that you, you believe. those of us who put someone else's name in there. God, we pray right now that you would orchestrate as only you can circumstances to guide and lead people into conversations. Lord, I pray that the stories of those who are following you, that they'll tell, even to people they're scared to death of. Help us to be obedient. Holy Spirit, guide us in that. Father, for those who are here and they're not sure who to write down, Lord, I pray that you would not let them go. God, I pray that you would burden us all with the spiritually sick of this world. Someone told their story to us, and we've been cured because of the work of Christ. Let us not let go of that. As we close in worship today, if you, if, if you, as I've said before, there's something sometimes very significant about standing up and just walking up to the altar. If you want to do that in whatever way, and you just you want to come up and you just you you want to pray for that person or pray for yourself or whatever, then I encourage you during our worship time to do that. You don't have to do that, but if that's something that is a step of faith in doing that, then I encourage you to do that. Maybe it's right in your seat, then that's fine. You do that. There are many spiritually sick, and we have a mission. And I pray that we have the zeal, the zeal that Paul had. Because someone's waiting for you to tell their, your story to them. Don't miss it. And if you've never made that commitment to Christ, then come. We'd love to pray with you. Father, bless our time of worship. Thanks for Paul's story. Thanks for the way that he, he shares with us better said, how he shares with Agrippa, and it's, it helps us understand what it means for being spiritually sick. God, help us never forget. Burden us. Give us a desire to help those who are sick, all the while following you. In the name of Jesus, amen.